podcast, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy 2K21. We made it, I guess. We, we did make <laughs> we it. We did make it. Cheers. Cheers. I got nothing. I got water. You got water. that right there. Cheers. Oh, yeah. I got crystallite. Um, We're doing something a little bit different this episode. We don't have a chapter that we're going to talk about. We decided with the new year, with all the reflection, resolutions, et cetera, et cetera, that we would kind of take stock of where we're at in Song of Ice and Fire right now before we continue on down the path of A Feast of Dragons and that we would just kind of look at the series as a whole. We asked a couple different questions across our social media platforms to kind of help guide our discussion today. But and we'll we'll read a lot of those answers that we got because we got some really good ones. But we just thought we'd kind of take a step back, talk about where we are and recap a little bit. Sort of a a lower key episode for the first one of the year. Yeah, definitely. We have 11 chapters left in the Feast of Dragons. Not very many. And start cheering noises. Ah, (laughs) Which is so cool to think about that. And I know over the past week, whenever we thought about making this episode, I've been looking back and I'm not sure if you did the thing where I was like, go to the website and uh, you didn't. (laughs) I did, for sure I did. Yeah, 100%. Go to the Feast with Dragons tab on the website and uh, read my progressively less vague, if you go backwards, and then progressively more vague episode descriptions of the chapters of this particular reading order moving forward. And it's full of so many cool memories and the original idea for for this podcast episode was to just talk about the reading order from the last year or so when we started back after doing the wind sample chapters after the end of the Game of Thrones season. But mm-hmm. that kind of put us in the frame of mind of so many other questions. And we mm-hmm. thought we'd just expand it to whatever we came across. And so it's led to these questions and the conversation that we're going to have today. Exactly. So... We kind of ended up hitting on these same themes over and over again. So we try to just read the first one. I mean, um, what do you well, what do you think about? I know that you've been sort of collecting your thoughts, not only in a Google Doc, but sort of metaphysically looking back at the series and thinking about probably how it's personally affected you and what you think is going to happen in certain circumstances, but also maybe analyzing why you like certain aspects of it Mm -hmm. versus why certain aspects of it are uninteresting to you, maybe. Right. Is there anything like that that popped up? Well, um, I would say one of the things that popped up continually and kind of part of the motivation for wanting to do this episode for me personally is we are, are at this point in the reading order where we're talking a lot about a lot of end game stuff and we're really we've you know said that a million times as we're coming to the end with only 11 chapters left as you mentioned and we're talking a lot about the series ending from different character perspectives woven into the kind of greater whole but t- having the opportunity to kind of step back and look at the end game from just an overall perspective and not necessarily from Daenerys's point of view or from John's point of view and things like that is something that I haven't done in a while. So yeah. a little bit more of this broader overview I thought was an interesting exercise. And so what we asked for questions and a bonus question. So the four questions that we asked are pretty broad. And then we asked two bonus questions that deal specifically with different characters. So one of them is about Jamie and Lady Stoneheart and one of them is about Bran and Bloodraven. 
And I mean, I haven't thought about Jamie and Lady Stoneheart in months, you know? So taking the opportunity to remember that there's stuff going on outside of Marine and outside of the wall, Mm because we've just been there for a million years in our reading order, was an exciting exercise. Isn't it crazy to think that there's two books left when you look at already all the evidence that's on the table and all the the chips that are in place to fall right now and all the, the big events that are already set up pretty well and we're waiting for them to fall. It's... I know that because there's so much left that everything that we're thinking about and a lot of the stuff that we're ta- going to talk about today is just uh, a means to getting to another means for the end. That the stuff that feels so important and that the events that are probably going to lead to a lot of changes and who's alive that we care about, mm-hmm. simply put, a lot of people are going to die probably. Right. Or... Just at, looking at it in scale with everything else, it feels like it's a really big deal right now. But knowing that there's two books left and knowing that we're going to have similar conversations like this after wins, it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. there's a lot left. There's a lot left. And I I don't know about you or anyone who's listening, but I think that it's really easy to kind of be defeated by how long it's been since the last book has been released and how long it potentially might be until winds of winter and so i feel like we're so far away from the series the tv show ending we're so far away from dance being published we've got a little bit of time left before we can like really start getting excited about house of the dragon and winds of winter nowhere in sight and so i feel like we're at this kind of weird middle period where not really a lot is going on and so it's kind of hard to be excited about things in some way um but as you're saying, there's so much left and there's so many things. Um, I spent a lot of time just kind of looking over general themes and kind of reading through some of the general themes in A Song of Ice and Fire as a whole. And that just kind of re-sparked some of that excitement for all of these things that George has been setting up plot-wise right. and then what that will eventually lead to. Especially when end. you think about the stuff that he has been publishing in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Right. Like uh, World of Ice and Fire and Fire and Blood giving us so much perspective and sort of trying to channel into his perspective and trying to key in on his thoughts of how he's publishing the books himself. Mm-hmm. I usually take the the point of view that he likes the slow burn and that this patient teasing out of the story is all part of his process. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people feel like that's not the case. And I know that it's frustrating to feel such a large gap between books. We were just talking about how a three-year gap between one of the books that I love, the sequel to one of the books that I love coming out, and one came out in 2015, another came out in 2018, and how and within those three years, so much of, of real life had changed. But now that I'm showing those books to friends, it's it's interesting to see how quickly they're able to go through things that I had to wait for mm-hmm. and and feel all of that anticipation for and now we're on the same page and such a smaller piece of investment of their time and emotion than what i had to do and yeah i don't i don't really know how that changes the process of appreciating stuff for other people but i know that feeling the the gap between books has always been something that i, I i've been used to since i was a kid with potter yeah and when you're young, those gaps of time, especially something like three years, feels like forever. And so it's a little bit easier now because I'm older with those gaps. And we've had the TV show and the podcast to keep us busy. And because there's so much to explore in these books still and with the supplemental material, like I said, coming out, 
there's even more evidence in the way like when you think about how George wrote the evidence from Summerhall being small little fragments, sentence fragments, so already so mysterious because we're getting it from the perspective of an unreliable narrator. It's like, come on, why'd you have to do that? Yeah. It's just 3D manipulation of supplemental material as we're waiting for the actual books to come out, but also to take it another level and they give us sentence fragments of something that's already such a mysterious circumstance has really made this weight seem designed and seem you don't you don't think so <laughs> recording with you in person is like you can see when i roll my eyes that like it's over <laughs> skype when i can just like keep going it's it's, it's designed it's easier for me because I'm, I'm older now i can't imagine what young kids are reading this and what they must feel like mm-hmm. and it's also a little bit easier because there's the supplemental material to to look into and right to, like I said before, continue to theorize about the end game, but also about the next book. I don't know. It's fun for me. It is fun. There's a lot to talk about. And there's yeah. definitely a lot to pick apart and a lot to kind of think about. I mean, obviously, our podcast is like the prime example of that yeah. right here, right now. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was designed in any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I just don't think that um, 10 plus years at this point, almost, between you finishing your series is like something that is on purpose or something. When do you think he wanted it to come out? 2011 was dance. So probably like sometime halfway through the series, like between some of the seasons, like between like season three and four or something. Or maybe right. Yeah. Or right after four, Mm -hmm. before we saw the resolution of what happens with John, something like that. Yeah. I think that was probably the the end goal originally. Mm. And it's, you know, it's fine that that we'd spend a lot of time talking about why that didn't happen and how that didn't happen and how that affected the TV series. And I think that that's fine. It's just interesting, like from a personal level. So I was just thinking about all those things a lot as I was reading through a lot of the prep from today. We had, we pulled a quote from for one of our questions that was a pre 9 11, 2001. Yeah. <laughs> This pre nine eleven talking about end game stuff. What are he, is he talking about? <laughs> so um, pull that we, quote up. So we one of our questions, and I don't, I don't really want to talk about this question right now. But I guess we yeah, could. just read the quote. Um, so one of the questions is kind of the quote is from this interview that he did in two thousand one, and he says, "In my series in particular, much of the key to the future lies in the past and the successive revelations of what happened sixteen years ago. What we think is true maybe isn't necessarily true." What are you quaith? Yeah. <laughs> right. But it was just to realize that that's like pre 9 11. We've been doing this for, yeah. for, on, <laughs> on that same exact shit yeah. for 20 years. I know. That's part of the reason why I think that he's confident in stretching it out like this. Or rather, if he didn't mean to, I don't think he's in any hurry to stop it because the fervor and the mystery like this. And we know that he's familiar with the kind of fan communities that we're a part of, specifically mm-hmm. related to A Song of Ice and Fire and GOT. And so why wouldn't he want to orchestrate it even more? Like he orchestrates the, he teases out the conclusions of things in his story. He's, right. he's in charge of all of us right now. <laughs> I don't think that that's necessarily on purpose, but I think you're a little bit more optimistic than I am. Well, for one, it's, it does me no good to feel mad about it. It's a tweet of every time he posts about a calendar update, <laughs> negative stuff about. I did see someone's tweet recently, and they tagged us in it. The what did what did they say? This quarantine would have been the perfect time to release 
the Winds of Winter George yeah. or something like that. <laughs> I mean, Taylor Swift dropped two albums. Yeah. So, so what's your excuse? Let's all get that that lesson in in for us. I don't know. Um, I'm not mad about it, though. I would like to have it, but the more time that he does this, the more people can jump in at this point. And I wonder if he's going to do it between six and seven as well. It'll probably be less of a wait, but it might be a, a sharp five-year gap. Can you imagine another 10 years between six and seven? We're going to be at this for That wouldn't be, I don't know if, if that can be a thing. We're going to be at this for some time. I don't know if that be a thing. What are but we going to talk about for all of that? I it depends. We'll see if, if between, the, the thing is feast and dance, and that's part of, the the orchestration of this reading order was because of the his plan are two books that are chronologically intertwined but are basically setting up one stretch of arcs that would be set up and then resolved while also in its resolution setting up the tendrils for what would be the next book and he's doing that within two books so it's kind of hard to say or to guess or to expect that the winds of winter will do the same for book seven. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Right. It's hard to think that. Right. Well, that so kind the gap of, may be less. That kind of goes into one of the questions that we asked that I'm kind of going a little bit out of order, but I think that that is a perfect. These segue. numbers are made up. We can just switch, just delete that number on the doc, <laughs> okay. type a different number. <laughs> yeah. and It's fine. <laughs> I'm like live and die by the Google doc. But one of the questions that we asked was a two parter. And it says, what unanswered questions do you believe will be resolved by the end of the series? Which we can add an addendum for ourselves. It's like by the ends of win by the end of wins. And then what elements do you think will remain a mystery? So obviously there are a lot of things that we discuss on the podcast and that we discuss just in the community as a whole about what we'd like to see. But um and we could easily make a list of all those things and we probably will. But just one of the questions that struck me as we were kind of thinking about what we want to talk about in this episode is what of those questions do we think will actually get answered? Um, because I think that there will be quite a bit that is left up to our own imagination, which I think is a fun thing. And then what things are we sure we're going to get answers on? Um, and what things potentially in Winds of Winter do you think we need answers on ASAP? What do you um, think? <laughs> what unanswered questions do you believe will be resolved? And what elements do you believe will remain in mystery? I think that I have like a very broad hope for that question on like something necessarily very specific but i have like this very broad idea that you can maybe help tease out a little bit but i think for me one of the biggest unanswered questions that i assume and hope that we will get some sort of answer is kind of what the end game goal is for a lot of these different groups and fractions of people their goals personally mm-hmm. or what the goal of the story will what be? the personally for these different okay. groups so we've got the maesters we've got the faceless men Mm -hmm. we've got the faith we've got all like the iron bank we've got all of these different sellsword companies and things like that you know these are kind of like the organizations not specific people that's what i was trying to say yeah so all these different organizations with a bunch of different motivations Mm. but i think teasing out and understanding kind of what their purposes are and what their motivations are and why they're doing what they're doing i think will be very interesting to me like thinking a lot about the iron bank and how their how stannis's debt to them will or won't work out and kind of why they decided to go along with him or you think about right or you think about the faith and kind of the type of power that they're continuing to grow and what their hope and end game is Mm -hmm. for 
them eventually? Like, do they want to sit on the throne and be in charge? Maybe not necessarily a throne there, but have the power. And I think that right now we're at a point where it's hard to tease out who is in alliance with who and who is working behind who's back and kind of I think there's a lot of the, these backroom deals going on that we don't have a lot of information on and having an opportunity to kind of better understand the motives of why certain people have been acting in certain ways. It's a very broad way to answer your question, but that's something that I'm really looking forward to and hoping that we get some closure on in, if not wins, just Dream of Spring. What of those groups are most interesting to you? Um, that's a good question. Like the faceless men? Yeah. yeah. What? Is it because they wield some kind of power that's really not described? Or is it because they're they're kind of like a satellite religious organization that positions themselves not around the usual pantheon, but the the one that is sort of thought of as death? Maybe both, but also just, I think also Arya's tie in with them. I think that who they are and what they're doing will help maybe also uncover kind of what Arya's arc and trajectory is, even though it will likely extend beyond them and their vibe. But I mean, and I don't know who specifically I necessarily am thinking of as the people that I actually care the most about. But I just think that it's interesting that we've got 10 million people with 10 million motivations. And these people are seemingly removed from the actual like none of these groups are going to sit on the throne necessarily Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of promises being had like the tattered prince that we were talking a lot about like the tattered prince is not going to sit on the iron throne necessarily so why but everyone's trying to ride each other's coattails and throw their hat in the ring and um try to get something out of whatever is happening goal is going to happen it's like they're okay with just Okay, I don't have to be the most powerful. Mm-hmm. I might not have three dragons or however many dragons there ends up being or who gets a dragon eventually in the end. But I know that I'll, this is a big moment for the planet, seemingly, because we've been paying attention and just having more than what we currently have is enough. Right, right. The faceless men are cool because they come from a place like Bravos too. Mm-hmm. When you look at the color, the kind of food they serve there, the kind of people that live there, the kind of nightlife that they have. And like you said, the fact that Arya is there at this point in her story, it all kind of like it all kind of adds up to the same color which is like a purple green right <laughs> mixed with a little slashed <laughs> with dark gray and black right and it's a little translucent and it's cool and that's oddly the color of the waters there in bravos but you think of like a place like bravos we have so much detail about a place like that and then the second half of this question is what do you think will remain a mystery and so the flip side of that is well maybe a place like bravos i don't know what i'm saying but like maybe a place like bravos is something that just added color to the story and was just like an interesting stopover and that these just like build out the world a little bit and um, don't necessarily give us answers for the quote unquote end goal of who's going to sit on the Iron right. Throne, which I put in quotations. It's a it's a note in the chorus or in the, the orchestra. It's a, it's a certain addition of instruments or if we're thinking about it from the composition, it's a movement in the composition that adds to the whole but might not necessarily be the point of it. But they all add to the overall image and the image would be impossible without all of that color. Right. And at the same time, a place like Bravos has got to exist in a, a fantasy world. Of course, because it's not like There's a flat be. 2D kind yeah. of place. When you play Dungeons and Dragons and you guys go to different places, have you been to a place that's similar to this or they have, have they mostly been 
the sort of traditional empire-like power cities. Oh, what's the name of the city that we're in right now? I can't remember. But we're in like a little uh, port town, like a small little ocean side. I guess they're all by the water. I can't remember. Um, just go down the list. What, are there any other principles that define it other than being a port town? <laughs> Is there a large library? I don't remember. My We're at this point in my campaign where we're kind of really far off of we're in this place that is set, but the campaign is homebrewed. So it's like the location, but the storyline isn't from anything. Okay. So they don't talk about the location that much. It's no, more of just right. like a fixture at the beginning. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's why I can never really remember. Plus, we're all focused on just like getting ships so we can become pirates. So okay, that's that makes like sense. we're like trying to be a <laughs> released from the land, but. I get what you're saying, kind of, just like this. It's got to be, it's, it has to exist. Yeah. Somewhere like Bravos has to exist. Right. But in George's imagination and his development of translating from real life history, things that he likes into this fictional world of Planetos, I, I it's so creative of him to come up with a place like Bravos, but less less so for the town and more so for a, an establishment like the Order of the Faceless Assassins, mm -hmm. the House of Black and White, among all of those other traditional houses of worship that are represented in Bravos. Right. It's pretty cool. Right. And it's kind of like Arya's personality manifested in some weird obelisk-like future that we're, we're confused about. It's going to be cool to see what happens with them. Would you put, kind of pitching the question back to you, mm -hmm. are any of those locales on your mind when it comes to places or things that were made a mystery or questions that you have that you hope to be answered mm, less so those groups i think that was a really good answer and if i was to pick one of them i would probably have picked them too just because so much about what they do is unexplained but mm -hmm. also i'm interested in what the iron bank really wants because i know yeah. that a bank's well i don't really know i, I can guess that a <laughs> bank's main objective is to make more money and to have more influence because of the amount of money that they have. Sure. And I'm wondering at what level a bank in Planetos or in what level in the development of these places, a bank's goals and aspirations of running things behind the scene. Like, are they going to, are they trying to be the Illuminati of everything, even though they're probably the Illuminati of some things right now? Have, do they feel like Westeros after the the reign of Robert and having so much debt accrued by the, the Iron Throne right now? Is this sort of like their fell swoop to take their influence out of a place like Essos and or not to take it out, but to try to really branch out and become planetary? Mm -hmm. Do they want to have more influence in mysterious places like Ashai or South Oreos? Something like that. Right. I'm wondering about what they really want in the end. Or why don't they just seize lands of all these people who owe them so much money? Right. With, if they can. I think they have to have actual firepower to yeah, seize Yeah, I guess it's lands. not really the same, is it? You can't, like, get foreclosed upon. Right. Exactly. Because there's less. That's what That's what I meant about at, at the, the point of development of all of these powers. And with those powers, the technology and the ability to actually use power that you seemingly have to make something happen other than scraps of paper and the ability to hire cell swords or the ability to call upon the influence that they already have. It, it's probably one of the reasons why they haven't gotten all their money back from the iron bank yet. How do they actually call back those debts? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. How does it actually happen? So 
we're sort Good sort faith. of in the exactly we're sort of in the middle of that developmental process for a group like them and i'm wondering at which stage in the process they feel like they're at we get small glimpses of who they are and now we have a further glimpse with someone like tycho nestoris and we see how crafty he is and how yeah. how he's able to traverse these landscapes that so many other people are struggling with and to do it with seemingly good spirits so we know the stuff that he's made of who does he work for sure what are they like how deep are they with other secretive organizations and like i said what, what sort of influence know? what do they know how are they getting that information and that all comes back to the greater questions i think and which is probably the underlying sauce to all of this that the people at the very top of figuring stuff out in Westeros are tapped into. Mm -hmm. And there's got to be representatives of those same bastions of knowledge in places like Ashai too, in a place and probably something that we don't know about and may never get to in a place like South Orios, mm -hmm. if that's how you say the damn name. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> it's a weird word, man. I just want to yeah. know how you say it. I wish George would give us three different translations of it like he does everything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it all kind of comes back to this idea that there's other strings being pulled, obviously, mm -hmm. behind whatever we're getting from, as you kind of mentioned before, these unreliable. Did you say that or was it in my head? Yeah, these unreliable, unreliable narrators. narrators that we've got. And so we just we don't have the full picture. Um, and also why Stannis? You know, it's kind of especially in the position that he's in. Stannis is like not really the guy that you would necessarily want to pick. So whatever info they have. Who else would you pick? Because I feel like they've already got. Whatever going on with Cersei, that there's already they're already sending letters, they're already making formal requests. Mm -hmm. Maybe this, so this this is a backup plan. What other kind of backup plan do you think that they could have? Well, Stannis is like stranded in the middle of the of the true middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah imagine that's what Tycho is relaying. Yeah, when and he he's comes not back. like he's, he's not like, going anywhere. Their people are cannibalizing each other. Uh -huh. General dismay among their among their camp. They've overfished a pond. It's interesting. Why not? back somebody like go to the veil where everybody is really kind of playing neutral right now mm -hmm. and back one of those people and be like let's go i don't know it comes back to how much they know and how much the season uh, being changed by whatever super supernatural forces behind it is going to shake up stuff in a way that the bank it just seems like a weird time for them to start caring so much mm -hmm. so i bet they do no more maybe they have a glass candle this kind of ties into the next question and also one of the answers that we got from the Gen Xer on Instagram who says, um, hopefully why seasons are so wacky, at least. We've been wondering that from the start. That's a question that they're kind of looking to yeah. get answered and, and one that they think will be answered, which ties into one of the questions that we asked, which is why will Planetos play a role in the end game of A Song of Ice and Fire? How important are the natural and magical elements of the world? to the outcome of the series. And so we have a lot of unanswered questions about if winter actually matters and all these different magical things that are seemingly coming from or happening in the world that mm. aren't necessarily tied to one thing or another. And if any of that is actually going to matter at the end. I could probably bundle that question up with the last question about exactly. unsolved mysteries. Yeah, that's because why. that's where most of my brain comes to. Yeah, so... I know that George said at one point that... The seasons were weird because of supernatural elements, not not quite scientific ones, which I'm sort of confused about because it seems like so much of the elements of the story that are confusing to us are ultimately grounded in some kind of realism that can be explained by secrets that are being kept and by power that isn't too far out of reach and maybe not altogether that magical while there still are things like blood magic that are definitely coming into play. So they're probably tied somewhat to that. 
somewhat mm-hmm. to the same kind of energy that brings back a dragon in some Definitely. way. Like maybe it's the suffering, maybe it's the overall scale of how people are treating each other on the planet, something weird like that. I don't know how things are actually measured or how real a lot of these gods actually are. If right. there's one, if there's actually several, if there's not any at all. And I think whenever you start to think about those questions and if you come up with your own answers or if you use the evidence from this book or from actual history that George might have pulled from, and I don't mean A Song of Ice and Fire history that he wrote, but I mean actual history that George might have pulled from and knowing what kind of person he is and what he believes in, you can kind of guess some things but never really get a true answer. But if you make a decision and guess what you think, you might be able to apply some of those decisions to translating stuff like how the werewoods work, Absolutely. how glass candles might work, how warging and green sight works and how a Victorian can get an awesome hand like that. Right. It's like when you, um, you're you putting together a puzzle, which I did quite a few of over the holiday, and you get one piece that you stick in and like eight pieces come together. Yeah. You just kind of have to make a decision about that one piece. Yeah. yeah. But that's kind of an interesting as we're talking about these unanswered things and thinking about how things might end up, A Song of Ice and Fire, as everybody listening probably well knows, is the revelation of magic is something that has been a slow progression from the beginning. And in a fantasy series that's so deeply rooted in realism and so deeply rooted in just politics and humanity and not mystical, magical things... There's a lot of that happening behind the scenes that's going to or not make a big dis- difference. Um, and so whether the seasons are bound by the same kind of laws or the same kind of vibe or energy as um, like glass candles, like if the, if this is all tied to the planet itself, um, kind of remains to be unseen. If anybody's going to be able to tap into that or manipulate that or use that, um, I think it's going to be interesting what a weird planet it would be though if it was tied to some somehow the uh like was there a winter before there were others Mm -hmm. were there always others right or were they always so long and irregular yeah has it always been that way or is it kind of i think that there's some a lot of people like to make the analogy between like global warming that we're going through here on our Mm -hmm. planet now and what's happening in westeros with winter coming Mm -hmm. is this is that something that's brought about by humanity itself or is that something that is that's just how the planet works you know what i mean i don't think it was that hot of a topic back in the early 90s whenever he was putting these together probably not and we've seen seasons change we know that they come and go in the series i mean not necessarily for this part of the story and with this set of characters but there's historical precedent for winters and summers and things like that but Sometimes caused by global events, sometimes caused by the rebound from those global events that took, I guess it's still the original event that caused it, but large movements of climate and of the species that inhabit the planet based off of things happening that were so far in the past that the things that are alive right now may not even have the intelligence to understand. Right. Summer, sweet summer children that they all are. What about you? What do you think about the the elements playing? What was the question exactly? Well, the question was... How important are the natural magical elements to the outcome of the series? What do you think mm-hmm. about that? And if the planet will necessarily play a role in that. Yeah. Well, one of the main questions that I've been thinking a lot about is how important the fight against the 
this kind of ties into i feel like this ties in together so bear with me for like two seconds but like the fight against the undead how much of that is actually going to be the climax of the series or if that's going to be kind of like a blip in the road as we march on towards a larger goal and i think winter itself is going to play like to me in my mind winter really is tied with the undead and the whites kind of coming down into westeros coming Mm -hmm. south that could just be my bias from the tv show but i can't necessarily imagine the whites and the others and all these people traveling south when it's still warm and not winter you know what i mean so that like they kind of tie together in my mind they take down the white walkers completely and it's still winter for like years right exactly (laughs) exactly it might end up happening or or, or even weirder imagine if it just went away magically after they kill them Mm -hmm. well because that would be weird i think that would be that might be it might be i mean it it might be interesting i mean if they're controlling that or something that kind of goes back to if it's controlled by something on the planet or if it's just like a natural phenomenon. But I think about where we are and we were talking about Stannis a little bit and how he's really socked in by the weather and the weather has basically trapped him and trapped the other side of whatever the heck their names are that I can't remember in this exact moment. Um, The Boltons, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Stannis and Stannis's camp, the Boltons camp, are both at the mercy of winter and kind of everything really sucks for all of them. And regardless of the outcome of whatever that battle is, it's still going to be cold and none of them are going to have supplies, whether that's Stannis and company in Winterfell and the Boltons falling back or that's the Boltons still in Winterfell and Stannis and company all gone, regardless of the reinforcements potentially coming, all of that kind of stuff. They have nothing. And so they're not going to outlast the winter. Then we've got the wall. Obviously, things are extremely bad there. Not necessarily, but they're dire. I wouldn't say necessarily bad, but they're dire. They're dwindling, dwindling in supplies, and so it's like the elements are just going to wipe out. And I could see the same thing happening to. There's so many people on the move, and so many people are traveling and overlapping and moving and making plans. And I could just see the weather totally knocking everybody out, and then running their supplies dry and running their stores and strength and everything to the ground then immediately being followed by this massive undead army being the final undoing and so um just trying to picture kind of if these natural elements really are it and if winter is coming as cliche as that kind of quote has become really is kind of the guiding uh, thing that everybody should be thinking about. Because, like a strong foe. Yeah, if that's really what everybody should be focusing on because that's going to be what's going to allow anybody to come out the other side or if it's not really going to be that big of a deal. Man, there's definitely circumstances from our own history where nature has come in between warring groups and those warring groups have stopped for small amounts of time to deal with nature. All that's, the time. That's been unavoidable. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. And they also, it also completely changes how we strategize and also changes how the effectiveness of those people are against each other based on the kind of nature that they come in contact with on a regular basis. But as far as the end game is concerned, do you think that the resolution of things will be outside of 
maybe outside of winter, like for example, if we think about how the comet was coming across the sky, the sky, the, the bleeding. Let's back that up. The sky, the bleeding star, signifying the end of the world. Is there some greater cosmic harmony that they're not aware of because they're just people? Maybe a few people are aware of. Maybe someone at the bank. Maybe someone in shy. Maybe you're on. Maybe Brendan Rivers. Maybe some people in Old Town. I don't know. That is going to come out ahead seemingly at the same point that all of this is coming out ahead. I, I can't really think of a another option, which makes sense because we only have five books. Maybe another uh, option will be clear, but right now it seems like winter is the, the big, the big idea yeah. when it comes to this. But I feel like knowing that the common exists and that there's other elements that might come into play. I don't know. Do you think this, can you think of anything else that might, be a part of the world's decision or the world's power or like something like the doom of Lyria happening, for example, right. being a cataclysm that was caused by humans in a way, but still potential to happen based on what was within the world. Maybe something like that. That kind of goes to it. Um, we got an answer from Riley Lennon Hart on Instagram who said, um, I think a balance must be struck overall in order to prevent another doom kind of thing. So I think that kind of plays off of what you're saying. And you also wrote here 50-50 for yes and no answers for people who replied on Instagram. So some people think that this is just sort of irrelevant stuff and other people think like Riley Leonhardt thinks that there's like a balance that needs to be struck. Yeah, or that the weather itself and winter itself is going to play a pretty big role. Like in, you were saying. Yeah, like I was saying. Um, as being an annoying thing that we have to deal with as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, as something mm. that could potentially change, drastically change things. So, And then you think about somebody like Daenerys who will eventually make her way and the timing of that will also, I think, play a role in kind of how the elements affect the end story because... Really? Well, imagine... Everybody in Westeros is going through it in the dead of winter for years and everyone's dying off because they don't have supplies. And then Daenerys comes across the ocean triumphantly with her dragons and is rested and stronger and has a little bit more food maybe. Um, and might be a little bit more of like a saving grace or a terror than if she is also falling under this blanket of snow and right. threat of winter. Yeah, I haven't thought about that very much, about how she might seem to them, not through the lens of where they're currently, but through the lens of suffering in winter. Mm -hmm. Think about all the small folk we met in Feast for Crows and yeah. how they're going to be dealing with this, right. but also how they'll see someone like young Griff coming right. and like, he's a target. Fine. Yeah, we believe him. Right. He's the, yep. He's in King's Landing. Fine. Right. Yep. Great. I don't know. Who's his hand of his king? Eh, fine. That's good. But also for Danny too. Mm -hmm. And how there will be, it will be just like, finally we have a pop star that came out or maybe even finally there's two boy bands that we can talk about here in the real world. Sure. Who do you choose? Who's right. your fighter? Who's your politician that you, that you, you most identify with? That you want trial by combat for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Trial by combat. <laughs> Which one are you? They're both Targaryens, mm -hmm. so really, what's the difference? But are you Team Danny? Are you Team Aegon? Hmm. Hmm. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Thinking about it through where they're going to be inside. Like I said, not now, but with the blanket of snow mm -hmm. on top of them, right? And how that 
could or could not potentially affect things. One thing that I keep thinking back to also in this discussion is that point in the show, I hate to say it, when the snowflake falls on Jamie's golden hand at the end. What was the end of season seven? I think so. That moment gets me going. because, And I think that that was such a cool shot to have because it represents so much as and and there there's nothing you can do against the elements and so that could play an interesting piece and we're already seeing that play out for stannis and it it ain't good yeah for sure they're outside of winterfell and obviously on the way to winterfell too for me that moment i think was translated from this one of my favorite moments ever ever in this book series when i think it's the epilogue of a dance with dragons and the snow is falling in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And it's that same sort of energy, but just little flakes mm-hmm. are appearing in places that you're like, what? And with people, you're like, what? Flakes of snow now here? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's exciting. A great setup. Because that cha- that's going to change the tide of things. Or not, but. <sighs> yeah, it will. Imagine, like, again, back to the people that don't have food. Imagine not having a stronghold to be a part of right now. What those people at the gates are going to be like, mm-hmm. just in huge amounts is... It already starts to fall. It's already fallen now, but as it goes further south, how the places that don't look like or have been dealing with, like somewhere like the Riverlands has, for example, mm-hmm. when you're thinking about what lies between King's Landing and Old Town, when it starts getting covered in snow, what sort of situation those people who are not used to that in any way and, who's, and have been dealing with seemingly fruitfulness during all this time, albeit political weirdness. Right. I mean, how how are they going to handle it when we see how Stannis's men are dealing with being in Winterfell now? Right. Pure chaos. Well, especially when they're distracted by so many other things. But you think about, again, the TV series, but you think about so- how Sansa handles Winterfell when she shows up there. Mm-hmm. And she's like, guys, we need to get food. We need to handle this before we can do anything else. we got to shore it up for ourselves. Yeah. And I think all the time back to like one of my all-time favorite memes from the series of, you know, those, those tasty cooking videos where yeah. they're showing somebody made one, but they're cooking with nothing, just air, <laughs> like dumping air into pots. And they're like, this is Sansa trying to cook for everybody in Winterfell Yikes. after nobody listened to her. But yeah, I mean, that's just kind of talking in circles about what we've been talking about. But I think that um, it's exciting because that's something and this is kind of we'll tie into the next question that we'll ask but a lot of the things and themes that we deal with are political and are interpersonal and are more along those lines and now we're being faced with things that are much less controllable mm-hmm. and much less that are much more foreign because we can't do anything about the weather. And yeah. so it's just like a whole different beast. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest counseling service, and it is 100% online. It is the world's largest network of licensed, accredited, and experienced counselors who can help you with a range of issues, including depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. BetterHelp is more affordable and accessible than traditional in-office counseling is. And so if you've ever been curious about therapy, if you've ever been interested in giving it a try, this is 100% online. So you can do it from the comfort of your home, your own privacy, and there's financial aid available. It's not a self-help service. This is actual professional counseling, the same that you would get inside of an office. And with the service, you can start communicating with a professional 
through your phone in under 24 hours. Anything you share with your therapist is confidential and between the two of you. And something that I really like is you can either do a video call or you can just do over the phone, whatever is most comfortable for you. Both options are available. I've benefited from counseling. A lot of my friends and family have benefited from counseling. And especially now, I think this is a great opportunity to try something new. We want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash owns. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health at betterhelp.com slash owns. B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash O-W-N-S. I like thinking about that. I, I like that that question specifically because I think that it's been so present throughout the course of the whole story. And I'm mm-hmm. like, like now that we've gotten through a lot of the minutia, that things are becoming such more higher stakes, mm-hmm. and that they have they're going to start involving the the wider game that we should have been paying attention to the whole time. Right. It's no longer about he said she said. It's mm-hmm. Like let's. It's not a feast welcoming feast in Winterfell where mm-hmm. everyone's casually saying hi to each other. Right. Brand hasn't even fallen out of the tower yet. Right. Right. It's all just about everyone's moods. Like, oh, he's not having a good time at this party. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's kind of exactly what you're talking about in your read through or your personal read through on Patreon. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite questions that we put out that we can go to next is what is A Song of Ice and Fire really about at the core of the story? What's it really about? <laughs> and how will looking to these themes help us tease out the end game? So is it about answers on that one? Politics or winter or is it about love? Yeah, we got a lot of answers on this one because I think that uh, this is a really good question. One of the <laughs> I wrote this question. It's really good. <laughs> that is an okay question. <laughs> a lot of the answers that we got were centered around themes of power and family. So either power or separately family, kind of two different things. But um, something that we got in an email to kind of tie back before we get into some other themes, kind of tie back into we gotta this tie weather back everything. thing. This I know. has got to be got to be congruent. <laughs> it's got to be smooth. <laughs> I have said that a lot. Um, we got an email. We got an email from Mike from England, who says, in answer to this question about themes at the core of the story, they say, "I think there's definitely a big climate theme in there, and I think that will come into play. Possibly after the final fight, the seasons go back to normal, Ooh. and magic fades away, which is interesting. Yeah, we originally hear of magic as a thing that existed but doesn't anymore." I think after the White Walkers are defeated, this could happen again and Planetos possibly start to look a bit more, quote unquote, normal. Mm. Magic leaving is kind of an interesting thing that I never considered. Yeah, I haven't either. Bad news for all those warlocks. I guess they can just double down on the psychedelic trade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, it's still here, guys. It is magical. Trust me. Look at nature. Look all around you. Yeah. But that's you were kind of alluding to a lot of these different things that Mike was saying. So thanks for writing in. Thanks, Mike. The other, a couple of the other answers I'll read. One, we've got um, Rune Fayer who says, human life at all scales, choices and consequences in the face of people and forces of nature. That's a pretty good way to put it. Did you know that Jay was silent in their name? No, but that's, that's pretty good. How I would call, I would have said Fajair. <laughs> usually the J, if it's at that point in a word, is silent. Okay. Hopefully it's right. Human life at all scales, choices and consequences in the face of people and force of nature. So just everything is everything, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. 
which is, I think, what George is trying to do with the series. Right. Distill it in a way that's artistic, in a way that the flourish that suits his taste and that he personally likes, but also trying to, every chance that he has, imbue the series with the same sort of 50-50, black and white, ultimately becoming gray mixture right. of truth, right. ice and fire, good and evil. I want to say love and hate, but I don't know about that necessarily. But none of those things, right, become, are actually black and white. He right. kind of mixes the, them until... It's the interplay mm-hmm. of it that creates the spark that is life itself. Totally. And is interesting in the first place. Totally. And this, so, as I was reading and doing some research, there is a quote that came up time and time again that it's being referenced as kind of George R. R. Martin's overall thesis, I guess you could say, in his writing. And it's something that William Faulkner said in 1950. And he said that only the human heart in conflict with itself is worth writing about. And apparently that's something that George R. R. Martin has adhered to, so that only the human heart in conflict with itself is worth writing about. I don't know. I've read like stuff about cooking that I find interesting, instructions for stuff. You're not, you're not biting that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I keep going. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I can't really think of anything else. Anything else. Just directions, a how-to, or maybe a, a, a description of something. Yeah, the only isn't... thing worth writing about. Okay, in literature, we're not talking about cookbooks. Hmm. Well, it's definitely the, the, seems to be the heart of a lot of things that I like, for sure. Well, it's the heart of, of kind of... All the good stuff, probably. It's the heart of a lot of these answers that people are giving about maybe, power and family and Maybe struggle. that's why a lot of new stuff, like that YouTube series we try to watch, that Step Up YouTube... What was it? <laughs> maybe that's why it's not good. trying to watch is... It's uh, like, this is purely aesthetic. Yeah. This, this has no real deep, real deep what question at the heart of it. I think it was a Step Up spinoff on YouTube. Nice. It had lots of boxes checked, but right. not a lot of substance, I don't think. Although I only got through about four minutes of it. Sorry if anyone likes that. Yeah, I would say trying to, quote unquote, trying to watch a multi-part hour-long series, but only getting four minutes. It's <laughs> not a really valiant effort. <laughs> Just trying to get the most of my YouTube premium subscription, everybody. By the way, if you're not on that, YouTube without ads is weird. It's the high life. I tell you, every yeah. time I watch somebody else's YouTube and they've got ads going, I feel like... I get triggered. I feel like a king. I'm like, I don't live that way. <laughs> I was watching something recently where the network had put ads in their video. Like it was a like Whoa. a TV show. And I was like, come on. Wait a second. Like it cut to it cleanly. The host yeah. didn't read it or something like that. It was just. Interesting. Is that interesting or is that blasphemy? It's going I felt like I was thing. raped in a weird way. Sure. So what do you think the central theme of the song was? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, like I said, I think it's George trying to bring into a story that he likes mm-hmm. and with things like the food the expression of details that he finds interesting and pleasing to him the observations he's taken from this world and while he's doing that i think that he's fancied himself an artist or rather you are an artist if you pay attention to the details and try to reproduce your imagination in a way that is also in line with the standards of practice in your field, but also to another level, this is what I think he's in, he's engaging with the standards of practice in his field to a level that rivals the artistry of some of the most interesting and talented artists in history. And in this particular medium, I think we've yet to see what his final flourish will be, but it certain, mm-hmm. certainly looks like he's on his way to channeling what every good art art field does which is what i was saying that sort of truth from reality mm-hmm. with standards of practice but with also a personal creativity and desire to take it to a level that 
incorporates so many different angles of the problem that other people might not ever take the time to think about mm -hmm. and thus creating such a more richer tapestry because of it. And maybe even some new stuff in the meantime, because very few people take their expression of whatever particular art form that far. Mm -hmm. And I really, I'm really glad that he picked this particular field because like him, I also grew up reading Tolkien. Yeah. And so I vibe with it super hard. Right. And I can feel a lot of those influences. And it's interesting. It's, it's in a lot of the conversation surrounding A Song of Ice and Fire and George R. R. Martin kind of talks about his ability to stay away from or to um, lean in really hard on different tropes, especially within the fantasy genre. And it's really interesting to me that he, as somebody who like reads a decent amount of fantasy, it's not like my number one thing, but he takes this seemingly very tropey genre of fantasy and kind of wipes out a lot of the fantastical elements of it so that at the heart and the core is all this gray area instead of these very black and white, good and evil kind of storylines and characters and things being dealt with that are pretty common in that genre he instead really mixes in the gray area with everybody which i think is kind of what you were saying like he yeah. takes all that detail and all of this world building and kind of turns it into this reality based yeah. in this fantasy world which you know it's cool <laughs> it reminds me that um did you ever watch parks and rec yeah when Ben White, is... I fell in the pit. <laughs> yeah. When Ben White is trying to defend Game of Thrones, I'm like, isn't that just fantasy garbage or whatever? I can't remember the exact quote. And he's like, it's oh, they're like Game of Thrones is Y'all for watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones is for nerds or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, it's about human conflict rooted in a fantasy world. Yeah. I think about that all the time because that's so true. But um, it's that stuff that you were talking about that he uses to make it so good mm -hmm. because. A lot of people don't think, you think about, lots. there's lots of paintings, but part of what makes a painting, certain particular paintings, really special is the anticipation of the idea and the concept of the idea already being layers of art, art artistry above even an execution of a really good painting. So you couple the execution of a really good painting with a, a concept that has so many layers and you take the time to look at the details of what people are eating or what they're wearing in a way that is not specific to one thing, but that is present throughout the whole story. And there you go. Mm -hmm. You've got this, you've got this, you put more work into it. There's right. more work and thus it breathes more. It seems more real because you've filled out those details. Is. is it annoying? For sure it is. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to get through, huh? Well, it kind of goes back to that question that we were talking about before is what stuff isn't going to be answered. Mm. And every story has mystery. up a whole new convo. Well, every good story should have mysteries and we shouldn't get a checkbox answer to every single thing, sure. a.k.a. the polar bears and Lost. But mm, okay. I think that sometimes when you're talking about how much detail and all this kind of stuff goes into this, like I think there can be a criticism right. of George R. R. Martin sure. in A Song of Ice and Fire that he gets kind of lost in the lost in it all uh -huh. and so how he teases that out and bringing it right. to an end is going to be hopefully very exciting and satisfying for me i haven't found any of those details without a point though i find that they're all like the and i'm maybe this is being too gracious but like reality itself sort of all pointing toward the same conclusion i feel like even when he's describing the food or when he's talking about what's happening in the background in marine while quentin is about to go into um the gold the purple lotus that 
it's all sort of screaming in the direction, like when Barry's standing on the pyramid and Marine and he's foreseeing the city and he's seeing the smoke inside and outside. There's so much subtext about his own life and where he's currently led himself and those houses that are that are being described and the mm-hmm. the kind of animals that are or, or symbols that are part of their their sigil and, and the colors of their heraldry and the way that certain outfits look and the way that certain people are wearing their outfits. All of it may seem like after a while, like there's so much of this I have to get through, it's almost kind of sloggy. But I've found with George's writing that none of it has been random. And that is at least a good thing and rewarding to me. But there definitely is there's something to be said about if you think about the difference between a really awesome piece of classical music that is just a blossoming of reality and truth of where this melody could go. And there's all of these all of these options that are being expressed by all these different kinds of instruments. And by the kinds of instruments and the options come all these other paths that we could go down. And this composer is marshalling all of them together. And now it's a 40 minute piece and maybe it's a two hour piece and maybe it's an opera and now we've got someone that's a person now inside of it that's singing it and it simplified the classical piece of music a little bit more because now a voice and a personality is behind it and now there's a story behind it whereas before it was just a a musical piece where you yourself could feel the story that was happening but we've turned into a stage play and then now we have three minute songs where the vibe is even smaller And the message is sort of built into the person that's doing the song before they even make the song. And their image is so important. And we're scrolling and double tapping on their Instagram account before we've even heard the the song yet. Mm -hmm. And I think in literature, there's a lot of books that sort of achieve the same amount of, of harmony in their reality. But with a kind of more, I don't want to say modern, because I feel like modern, in the description that I did with music at least would say that a shorter, more, we've already learned how to get there. And so let's encapsulate it quicker. Like let's use an emoji instead of a really long sentence to describe a concept. Mm-hmm. Might It might, when I say modern, it might just seem like it has to be shorter and it has to be more efficient. Right. I don't really think that that's necessarily the case, but there are works that seem much more efficient mm-hmm. and that are able to sort of get across what George is doing with a with a more creative concept back to the sort of premeditation before you execute your artistic idea getting to that concept in a more in a fashion that's more efficient but also with its own level of pre-concept in a way that is more satisfying or at least less annoying to who's going to be experiencing your art right so that's a whole other avenue of artistic expression that he doesn't seem to be concerned with like we were talking about at the beginning of the the episode, he doesn't seem to be concerned with enough to let this gap between the two books happen. Sure. He's into something else. And he's his going down man. his own path of what he wants to do. Exactly. Right. It reminds me. Um, man, this caffeine is kicking in, boy. <laughs> 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 I had too many of those drinks. <laughs> Are you familiar at all? And this reminds me of Les Mis. Have you ever read Les Miserables mm-hmm. or seen the play mm-hmm. or heard anything about it? I've heard people go, oh, la, 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 yeah, sure. about it. You've also heard Les Mis in my car, absolutely, for sure. And that's what they did, right? Yeah. Okay. But um, it kind of reminds me oh, of, so there's two versions of the published book, and the first is the original work that has like nine million chapters just describing the like French sewer basically. Oh, cool. And then there's the abridged version where they just cut all that out. And they're like, this really isn't worth it. So you don't have to spend so much time kind of learning about the underground of France. Okay. So, but it makes me think about when we get to the end of 
A Song of Ice and Fire, will all of this just be like George's artistic flourish as we explore all these different lands? Mm -hmm. Or is it, are these all specific details that we need to be paying very close attention to because it has to do with what's happening at the end? I think that they're hidden within all of this are all the answers that we're looking for. All the very dreams that Bran's having, all the very descriptions of things and where people are from and, and how they feel about certain things. I think that just like that opening scene or rather opening bunch of chapters in Winterfell, maybe encapsulating a lot of those issues of the human heart, maybe even in a sentence or two can capture or in a paragraph or um, a description of the environment that they're in may capture in essence the whole thing in one mm-hmm. that I'm not smart enough to figure out. I was going to say, what are your answers? I am not smart enough so... to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> sure but that's that they're what, there. That's that sort of symmetry and that um, able ability to pack everything to such a small degree is sort of like the, the concept of a fractal mm-hmm. in the same way. And it seems like he's trying to construct that with mm-hmm. his ideas. I'm doing things with my hands. It's interesting to me because we – and. I know this because we talk about A Song of Ice and Fire a lot. Duh. But it's interesting to me because you and I have such a different take on that, but we still kind of have arrived at the same conclusion, which is we should be on a podcast talking about A Song of Ice and Fire all the time. Mm -hmm. But I just am definitely, I don't see all the answers out there in all of this detail. Like, I think that there's quite a bit of material within the series that is just world building and that is just material. And I don't want to call it filler, but I can't necessarily think of a better word. W- world building material, yeah. I think, is probably the best thing to do to, to describe it. And I think that that's a good thing. And I think that that's something that makes series successful is if you can really flesh out where people are and you as a reader can be in Westeros, can be in that space, can imagine yourself there. Yeah. Think about all the series that I love and care about and that I think about a lot are the series and books that like trans- transport me to the place. Yeah. So um, I'm not trying to say that that there's no use in that type of thing. But I would say that a lot of stuff is can be chalked up to world building and that we don't necessarily I don't necessarily think that we need to unpack each and every sentence for different context clues to kind of find out what the end game is. I don't think that we do either. But I think that what you just touched on that existing is part of the reason why it's so successful in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think that. There's music that you can unpack and there you can write essays on it and you can dig into the lyrics and why specifically people chose this and why they chose these beats and why they chose this particular pattern of notes and how that interplays with the rest of the choices on a particular album. And that might not be something that most people... that It won't be something that most people ever come in contact with, but Mm -hmm. they'll feel the repercussions of that creative exploration and those decisions when they experience the piece itself. Yeah. And I think that we're seeing the success of that splash out on everyone's TV screens by how successful Game of Thrones was. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree with you that it might not be necessary. I don't think it is necessary, but I think it's part of the reason why it's so good in the first place. And maybe it could do with some... Again, back to the idea of sort of modern modernizing it, but I don't think he wants to do that clearly. Right, which I, you know, that's what makes him successful as an author and stand out. Yeah, I mean, it's his style. Right, is he wants to do it like that. Whenever you look at a, a work of art that has a place in a museum, there's usually pages and maybe even books dedicated to the artist, maybe even the work of art itself, and you can go explore that and you can learn everything about it. 
And you can look at that painting and you can know about the concept. You can know about the technical prowess that went into it, the decisions that were made that were either brave or either in conjunction with a, a symphony of lame choices became brave. And then you can learn about why it actually, through those things, you can learn about why it actually makes you feel a certain way, why it's mm -hmm. successful like that. Mm -hmm. Or you can just walk past it in a mm -hmm. museum. I don't have enough time to learn about every single thing in a museum. Mm -hmm. I just don't. Maybe some stuff pokes out to me or maybe there's a personality trait of the author that I find or, or of the artist that I find interesting and maybe I'll dig deep into stuff like that. But it's not necessary to learn all of the minutia of something mm -hmm. to fully appreciate right. it. You can just, like you said, just sort of graze across it and like it. And just that's add layers totally fine. to it exactly. when we get to dig into it. Exactly. Um, I want to pull this into the discussion of one of our questions, which is number three on the arbitrary list because we've not gone in order, which is what storyline or locations are we not paying enough attention to, both in the current narrative as well as from a historical perspective? So in kind of the history of the series, different people. And I think that because as you're talking, as we're talking about all of this world building and kind of how that layers the series, all I can think about personally is like a place like Dorne. And that's what a lot of the answers that we got were that Dorne is one of those places that we really need to be um thinking of but we got a couple different answers from folks we got like tim and harbin who said the free cities because the language and names are different and hard <laughs> so there's got to be stuff to unpack there <laughs> um we have uh riley leon hart again who said a shy i have no they say i honestly have little context for what did slash is going on there um so just kind of like naming off all these different places Ashai, the shadowlands where all those other places that you were talking about earlier mm. um dorn g sizzle dorn as usual yeah <laughs> g sizzle said that yeah i thought that was really funny um pulling from everything that you just said what places would you like to spend time in or what storylines or characters or places do you think we should be thinking about that are for sure going to be important or that you see as important and not just places. I think that we should be thinking about where Euron has been and okay. what could come of being there in such a way. And I agree with Riley that a shy would be cool to check out because I think that understanding one thing might give you more context on the rest of the things. And mm -hmm. we've already gotten so much exposure to so many things that I can sort of apply that across the board. But coming in contact with not only a mysterious place, but a place that seems to be so ahead of its time, I think will give us a lot of answers to what people that are also contemporaries and the rest of the story might be up to. What about you? I don't want to answer this question, so let's talk about Euron. <laughs> I was about to spat out this know, that, was close, that was a close one. No, but I want to ask you more questions. About, <laughs> I want to ask you more questions about why you think specifically the places that Euron has been are places that we should be paying attention to. Because I think that Euron is a character that we're just getting started with in the series. Yeah. Kind of this big bad guy. He's just very compelling. So why do you care about him? Uh, I think that there's a lot to be learned from mysterious locales where you bring back artifacts of great power. And I think that he's, especially from the Forsaken 
uh, from the Winds of Winter sample chapter up to no good and picking up on a lot of clues throughout the series that signify that or rather hint toward that he's going to be a big part of the endgame in a strange and violent set of ways that we've talked about on the podcast before and we'll talk about more in the future. I think that learning about what he did when he was there or rather what goes on there and what how dangerous it is to, to pass through Valyria and how coming through that, like how powerful someone would have to be mm-hmm. and maybe it would let me know what he's capable of mm-hmm. and uh, or let me know how, how close of a call he had and what he knows to avoid now. I just think in general, whenever you experience stuff that other people haven't experienced in a, in a scary way that it equips you to sort of handle the minutia with a lot more ease and he seems to have a lot of ease so it would lead me to believe that there's a lot in this world that most of our characters point of views haven't come across yet and like i said i think that learning about that stuff will give me a better handle on translating their minutia just like i feel like you're on is translating that as well who he is and kind of what his motivations are and kind of yeah yeah, I'm. Le- I guess I'm less concerned with him personally, oh, okay. and more about just learning what he knows, so I can apply oh, it to Planetos it. like him. So you can kind of see into his mind and kind of what his next move might be. Ultimately, he was a person, presumably on the prow of a ship, witnessing a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. or jumping off and then exploring, or maybe sending other people to their death instead of him. And I want to know what they came across, right? Or who they talked to, and what kind of deals they struck with people. How well, did they find those treasures? Because Euron's Ur- obviously tied in with a lot of magic. For stuff sure. that's going on and yeah. so where is he picking up you know what kind of stuff is he actually learning and wielding yeah. that we have yet to see in exactly Westeros, or yeah. that we've only heard glimmers of yeah 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 for sure do you have an answer for that also what 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 you oh what stuff euron's learned or what places that you think would be interesting to explore oh I don't really have an answer for it i don't know <laughs> that's like kind of like i was saying earlier i'm just so much less interested in that particularly not even ib the ibanese whalers as me as a reader of a song of ice and fire that's not necessarily something i gravitate towards so i didn't answer this question for myself right okay i don't necessarily i feel i feel like i don't like i was saying i think that you are very drawn to these different mentions of places and like that's something that's very exciting to you for sure yeah it's a little bit less exciting to me so i'm being a cop-out and not answering that question because i I don't really have a good answer i just don't really Care. Do you when you read fantasy books? Do you look at the map and wonder about other places? No, no. word, not at all. Word. So there you go. Word. I wanted to read another one that we got on Twitter though. Okay, that I forgot to read in our list um, from Cassie of Tarth, who says the eerie, which I thought was interesting, and I'll keep reading what they said. But we're talking about all these magical places, and then kind of bring it back to Westeros. They say we learn lots about it and spend much time there. So it's set up to serve. A, so is it set up to serve a larger purpose? How impregnable is it? Yet accessible to dragon riders? Will it be important to the second dance, or maybe even humanity's last stronghold against the elders? Well, that'd be cool. Yeah. So we we're kind of talking. We like listed off the eerie and did we in a random list earlier in the episode? You said it, yeah. But um, I thought it was interesting as we're kind of thinking about all these different places that may or may not have a role. That's one that I wasn't necessarily thinking about. But we ha- the Eerie really hasn't been tested yet in how strong it is. And they've really kind of remained neutral and out of the way. So whether or not that that comes to play is interesting. And then there's Dorne, of course, which people have kind of talked about a lot. So Dorne's going to be a cool thing. 
it's I think more interesting to see how people who don't want to make up their minds end up making up their minds and how how much of an instrument they'll be for other people's desires because of it. Ooh, Dorn and Darkstar, of course. Of course, Gerald. What, what's going on with you and where are you running off to? And but what, that's what why treasures does your lands hold? That's why I like as we've done this podcast, I've kind of become a a little bit reformed and understanding that I need to be a little bit more open-minded about those kinds of places and that there's still a lot of time left in the series. And so I think that I, a lot of good would come from me personally from exploring a lot of these different locales. And as you're saying, kind of understanding you look at Euron who's been to a lot of places and kind of understanding what he's learned there and what he knows yeah. from those kinds of things. Sure. That could be super beneficial for me personally, but that's Start just Start with Dorn and in a shy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you a Dorn t-shirt. <laughs> Maybe <know>. that'll help. <laughs> it won't. Whatever. Mm, could be a baby step on the way. You never know. Well, it's like one of those things where it's like you dig your heels so hard in. I don't dig my heels in on a thing that Dorn is pointless. I just like am bored by it. That's fair. But, a lot of people are. Um. Yeah. Can I, like I make a hard transition? We so like well, a, so, just a e break in the middle of the interstate. Yeah. <laughs> go for it. Or it's like that rental car that I have that drives so smooth. Like it just it's like wow, this is a zero degree turning yeah. radius. I could park <laughs> in the tightest of spots. Well, because we've been talking in these like very broad strokes about the series as a whole, and then we ask some very targeted, specific questions as well as kind of our bonus questions. Couldn't resist, man. Yeah, I had more kind of fun. Um, we'll get to that stuff. So I wanted to, another day. I want to pivot to some of those because I think we've. Um, been very profound enough in our Have we thoughts. Been profound? In fe- absolutely, oh, in our God. thoughts and I feelings about the song like like fire. <laughs> <laughs> profound wasn't the word I was looking for, but it's the one that came out of my mouth. So we asked two bonus questions, and the first is, how will Jamie survive Lady Stoneheart? Which is something that I had not thought about in decades. He would love her. Yeah, <laughs> I did not think about Lady Stoneheart in decades and so we got a lot of answers for that um and i don't know how i think i put this person's name wrong in my (laughs) um remember if there's a j near the top it's soft that's all i know that that's the case he's gonna survive her he'll survive lace on her with love the weapon we Right, his hand, her throat. Oh, I did <laughs> write, write it. It's so hard. <laughs> I mean, it's impenetrable. It's not so that we just block her airway for her, help her instead of constantly holding the skin flaps closed. I don't know how to pronounce this person's name on Instagram, but I'm gonna go for it anyway. I thought that what they said was great, and they basically said the same thing everybody said, which is, it's. Marilyn Art, yeah. It's MJ Winnegan Art. It's probably a initials, last oh, name, and then go. Art. Oh, there you go. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I was reading it totally differently. Whatever. MJ Winnegan Art. Thank you for writing into us. Sorry that I butchered your name. Anyway, they said trial by combat with Brianna as champion, which a lot of other people said as well, but they put the most exclamation points, so there's right it's to be read specifically. Um, but that Brianna will champion... Let's have a trial by combat and champion Jamie. <laughs> and that's what they get out of the whole Lady Stoneheart thing. Okay. But um, 
I want, and then we also got Rune Fair, who says, Bran will interfere and carry him away with a squad of ravens, dropping him Ooh. from some height. <laughs> Out of the firing pan, into the fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, I think a question along with, like, how will Jamie survive Lady Stoneheart? I'm curious to know your answer to that. And then um, based on what I assume your answer might potentially be. Yeah. I already because, said love. Oh, He's you gonna did? love her. he's curious um what that might look like for all of the characters involved after the fact okay you're adding you're adding on to that bonus question for me okay (laughs) uh i think that two things might happen i think that there might be a trial by combat which seems likely or that they'll be interrupted What's so funny? I'm sorry because I keep laughing about Rudy and Giovanna yeah, saying, really? let's have a trial by combat. Combat! <laughs> <laughs> Which we posted all over our, our social media because I think that's really funny. It's hard but not to think anyway, about that. Yeah. Um, or there'll be, so either some kind of trial by battle to bring back old school knightly sentiments. We have two of the greatest knights in Westeros mm-hmm. and uh, Catelyn Tully. Catelyn Stark reanimated. It just seems fitting and the right people are there. The right cast of characters are there for it to be an epic showdown. And we know that that's something that they do specifically to judge the innocence of people. We've already seen it with those people. So that could be cool. And I think that there's a chance that it could, we could, uh, this could be a, a part of George's creative flourish to incite more potential random circumstances to make it feel more real is that they might be interrupted in a way Mm. by some outside circumstance that breaks up the party. Like what? I'm not sure. It could be uh, a a band of raiders that's got their own power that rivals all these epic people. It could be some kind of natural element. It could be good news that make that oversights things in a way where we put put aside our differences for a small moment. Mm -hmm. It could be anything. Ghost of High Heart could show up. You never know. Mm -hmm. It could be weird. You never know. And I think that not doing the typical thing would be cool in this instance. And it's okay if he does do that because it has been set up really strong that it's probably how it's going to be separated. It will be the trial by combat and Brian will probably win. Mm-hmm. And if she lost, that would be really weird. Um, but if not, I think it could be cool if there's some randomness that goes down. But even in that trial by combat, I think there might be some interesting interpersonal drama just because. I'm less interested in that. Oh, Go yeah. On. See, that's the stuff that I care about. Right. You know, like when we're talking about major themes I want themes a raven to show up and, and be like, corn, don't do this, corn. Yeah, not me. <laughs> I want like Jamie and Bran to be like inner struggle conflict <laughs> with the oaths that they've made to, sure. to these people around them, which I think will come into play there. But right, okay. That could be the interesting part, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's so much other big stuff going on. See, is that's that... the big stuff to me, though. <sighs> okay. Being a human is very important. That's the point. That's what that. That's that quote that it's we read earlier. It's the only kind of story worth writing, YouTube. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, anyway, but yeah, I think some of those things might. That's why. That's why I asked the question of then what's next because mm-hmm. I guess what you're saying is all these people are going to make it out of this situation. So then what? Like, or some of them, you know, and it's maybe like, all of them, maybe all of them. But so what happens after that? What do you think? Um. I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. I think that, like, like I said, Lady I think that, Stoneheart exists still. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was left out of the show. <laughs> um, 
I'm interested in Lady Stoneheart, whether or not she actually has like a major role, because I think her role is probably going to be tied to her kids. And I think that she's probably going to be on some sort of as we think about people coming back to life, I think Lady Stoneheart is one of those people who's going to come back deeply, not herself. Like she's going to be on this um, revenge trajectory pretty intensely just because yeah, she has been like she. Yeah, she already was on that. Right. That's going to continue. Right. So, okay. Um, so whether so she's going to be brutal. Yeah. Jamie. So it's just like, like you're saying, they get interrupted or something happens or whatever. All that interpersonal drama will happen between them. And then everybody kind of walks away from that. Cause I think it would be interesting to like meet up with Lady Stoneheart and then for her not to do anything for her just to be gone immediately just seems kind of weird. Like you would think that maybe she's got a little bit something left in store, whether it's just kind of, the side justice Ooh, like thing. What? Like she goes and kills 10 million phrase. Like instead of Arya doing that, it's Lady Stoneheart who is handling a lot of that revenge plot yeah. there. Yeah. You know, which I think could be like this kind of fun. I'm so used to giving and now I get to receive kind of side thing. Um, and so what she, what she ends up doing if she ends up doing something, I think we'll be along those lines. And so I think like this whole thing is just going to be a big convergence and then everybody will kind of go their separate separate ways after the fact and kind of make it out after some sort of whatever conflict moment. I hope we get more of her too though. Yeah. For sure. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, definitely. All the way to the end. That would make me really happy. Um, Mike from England said, I don't think Mike from England wrote us a very long, nice email. So I appreciate that. They said, I don't think Lady Stoneheart is an endgame player, so I think she'll die again in the next book. I can't see him sweet-talking his way out of this one. (laughs) Nor Lady Stoneheart being merciful and only keeping him prisoner, so I actually think Brienne will be left with a horrible choice. Kill Lady Stoneheart, who swore an oath, who she swore an oath to, or let Jaime die. And I think she'll kill anyone before letting Jaime die. Tragedy ahead. I like that twist. So So we're not even going to let a trial by combat happen here. And Brienne just starts cleaning house, and Jaime does too. Right. And so that kind of goes back to some of that (laughs) interpersonal stuff, which I think will be interesting. That's an even more scary interpersonal interplay there. Damn. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That could be cool. I guess it's more interesting to me if she goes back on her oath to Catelyn. <laughs> but Catelyn's dead. You're like, I didn't give my oath to you. Yeah, she's dead. She's not even herself You're anymore. not even Catelyn. They call you Lady Stoneheart. Well, it's like when John comes back to life, how much of John is he going to be? Like, how much do you owe? Like, is John released from his Night's Watch oath because he died? That's... Is Brienne released from his... That's so weird. <laughs> is Brienne released from her promise to... Catelyn Stark because Catelyn died. Did you write it in a feather with a feather? Then it's okay. You're the one who was saying like 20 minutes ago, all the details really matter. So Right. No, I get that. I'm saying, did you make your promise with a feather? You could just keep riding south, John. Ride south and go help Rob. But I get it. I don't know. So yeah, if you die and come back, let's say, okay, now we can technically do it. Oh, if you're beyond the wall, if you're beyond the wall, you can technically hook up with that Wildling, that's totally fine. You're but you're beyond the right, wall. Right, you're not really in Westeros, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. <laughs> We've got one last question. I feel like I, the only way to do this is to just pivot to it. I feel like I'm... Yeah. You got this, Maestro. 
Uh, yeah, we're just going to go to the next question before things deteriorate. I what, feel like we're very close to that happening. What is next for Bran and Blood Raven? Yeah. <laughs> G Sizzle says, I expect more explanations of the mythology of the North. Word. Which, do you think that that could potentially also tie into magic and kind of like the world of Westeros as a whole? Yeah, definitely. I think that within whatever ends up happening, that something like that makes sense to be part of the dialogue as a su- supporting evidence to whatever they're claiming. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I think that the show, we just didn't have time in the show with this. And so things were sped up really quickly, obviously, for a lot of things. But in this instance, we got kind of like a really quick snap glimmer into brand transitioning and then he became king of the world which that's kind of another thing i wanted to ask with this question if you think that that's something that's actually going to happen at the end of the series probably but um how that relationship with brand and blood raven then turns into brand becoming king of the world how it translates into that yeah and kind of yeah I don't know if it's because of his relationship specifically with Blood Raven or if it's because of his being separated from all the conflict and him being kind of like a a player that's as much involved in the game as they are, but from a satellite location and him being so instrumental and probably he'll probably end up making some of the larger impacts on what happens and maybe already has been making a lot of those impacts. And so that coupled with his being separated and now having all of this context and, and also having been separated from his own sort of humanly desires, distracting his course, that maybe he ends up being the best choice for the job in the end. And also maybe having a downloaded downloaded version of the knowledge of the world in some sense or at least having seen so many things, maybe he would be in line to be the best person for that mm-hmm. job. Some kind of like almost neutral yeah, I mean, why not? Thing, character. Unless we need someone that's... I think we'll find out part of that answer within the series. I, mean, I was going to say, unless we need someone that's more full of the their own personal agenda and personal zeal for life, maybe that's a better choice for leadership. I, I don't really know yet, personally. So much has to happen. Like, do they even survive winter? You know, it's like so much has to happen before yeah. that even comes together. Yeah, but so. I think he's going to survive whatever he wants in that tree because Blood Raven's been there for so long. For sure, for yeah. sure. And he has so much access to things. Yeah. And so I think he's just going to be... He's, he's quarantining and he's got a, a full charge on his phone. Right. Or computer. He's learning everything he can. Everything he can. Full, full time hanging out with the... So little to do outside of his house. <laughs> and honestly, it's bad out there. Right. It's like there's been a nuclear holocaust kind of. And he's just stuck in that hidey hole. and Going through some stuff. Yeah, for sure. Wow, sounds so familiar. Seeing but... some stuff too. For sure. Seeing some really interesting, fortuitous hints at what will happen at a perfect time. Perfectly right before the sixth book. And with not enough chapters in the fifth book, honestly. But there's a lot of confusion with Bran. Do you think that he is manipulating as much as folks say that he is? We've talked about a little bit on the show. I think it's possible. And if the way space and time works, that he's that it's not chronological for him and that they have been doing any kind of fiddling around or whether just looking or obviously there's some kind of influence because we've seen examples of that happening, then I think the answer is probably a lot because it's it's probably already been happening even when he was not there yet because if they're able to break the laws of 
of mm-hmm. time right. while they're in a place like that or while they're rather communicating. I don't know if it needs to be at that tree or if that's just where Brendan Rivers ended up. I don't know if it needs to be through a blood or through a weirwood tree necessarily. I don't know if you need to drink or eat weirwood paste or if that's just an amplifier. I, I honestly don't even understand what it's like to be a seer. Right. If you're born in the north and you have these abilities to war, or if one in a thousand has the ability like him, or one in a mil- or has the ability to sear, and then like one in a million has the ability like him, mm-hmm. it's all still kind of cloudy for me. I'm not, I'm not really sure how that works yet. I don't think Brian knows how it works either. To no. be honest, I don't think and anyone's so, telling him the truth either. Well, He's so young and impressionable. That's the thing, and something I was thinking about. I was going to ask you next, just if. You know, Brands is Brands in this interesting, like deeply moral conundrum with all of this information that he's learning. Do and I so, eat people? Do I not eat people? Yeah, do I exactly. eat my friend the elk? Do I not? Do I trust a White Walker? Right. Do I uh, take over the body of my best friend? Do I hook up with Mira now that her brother's out of the way? Yeah, <laughs> all these different kinds of questions that he's wrestling with. But he's very impressionable and somebody who um, is, I don't know. I think that he has the potential of not using what he, like not using this knowledge and power for good and that he uses it for either more chaos and not necessarily for evil like we were saying a song of ice and fire isn't that black and white but the kinds of mistakes that brand could potentially run into or the kind of influence that blood raven could have on him whether good or bad how that's going to affect everything that's going on because he has so much power and so you know say brands like in with the wrong people and he is feeding information to or manipulating things for the quote-unquote not good guys it can have big repercussions because he's wielding so much power yeah even if 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 it's not that which it more likely is just having that much power in the first place makes means your mistakes are so much greater and we just haven't really seen him use and wield his power in a way that is necessarily for the right reasons almost you know like it's hard to say i mean what's the worst thing that he's done hodor maybe probably but i just when i read that it's just it doesn't really bother me that much i know that there's a lot of uh, the the idea of it is really sad but at the same time hodor wasn't going to do what they needed to do to save all their lives right and it's not necessarily about what happens specifically with hodor but just kind of the unlocking of those abilities and powers like the understanding that what that could be and so yeah why he hasn't necessarily done anything to convince me that that stuff shouldn't worry me, you know, yeah. or that that stuff shouldn't be dismissed. And so um, that's why I think that the end game of him kind of becoming king and sitting on the Iron Throne is an interesting one, because something that I would like to see is Brand continuing to explore this moral ambiguity and this line that he's really towing as he's yeah. seeing and manipulating things or seeing you know to whatever extent he is um and then either how that ends up that (laughs) how that pushes him to be basically not real and just kind of like a walking encyclopedia or what you know so i think that he came up in winterfell with ned as his dad and catelyn as his mom i think he'll be all right i would hope so but that but that's like the undoing of ned you know so yeah but the, the undoing of ned was because they're in a place that is unforgiving and that the nobility of spirit typically leads to a short 
tenure in a place like this because so many other people are deciding that that's useless and that personal gain is so much more important. Mm -hmm. So just because Ned was taken out early and was ineffective in a lot of his desires, does that mean that he was bad or stupid? No. For me, no. Because who wants to be an asshole? Some people really do. Personally, I don't. And maybe that ends badly in the real world. It definitely ends badly in Westeros. But how much does that matter? And is this the only game? And what implications beyond not being yourself are there? That's also really shitty. Like, how happy would Ned be alive? Or how happy would he be with himself while he is alive, rather, if he was a person that he didn't respect? Right. I don't think it's... (laughs) I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing or the way that Ned's storyline doesn't make him a bad guy or like made the wrong choices or anything like that. I think it just adds to this idea that we're dealing with reality. Yeah. But I mean. Maybe you need to break rules to protect people. I mean, think of how I guess it was bad because his kids got put in a really bad situation because sure, of that. Sure. So maybe he should have been more. Play the game a little. A little bit more guile. I don't know. But. Whether or not who he was as a person, like the type of impression that it made on Bran. And this kind of goes, this was something I wanted to talk about like 5,000 hours ago and then I kind of forgot about. But this theme in A Song of Ice and Fire, this theme of identity, kind of who people are at their core Mm -hmm. and who that they feel like kinship to. And I don't know, we kind of go in and out a lot of those types of questions, especially with people like John and the Starks in general or Arya or Theon or things like that. And so as you're talking about Ned and Bran and kind of how Bran will use his power or not use his power for good or not, or quote unquote good, whatever. If who he is, if he'll have enough of himself to be able to continue toying with this idea of identity, or if he'll be so far Hmm. into this tree vibe that he won't really be there as Bran. Maybe it depends on what he sees. True. He might get shown a bunch of negative stuff. Oh, so one million percent he's going to see things that he doesn't like. There has like. seen some pretty negative yeah, stuff. So. I think that someone really wanted to get him to that tree. And so I think we're going to we're gonna find out. I think that's going to be part of what we discover. Like who? Someone with the power to infiltrate his dreams. I mean, I, that's something I don't totally understand yet. It feels like I think Euron can do that. You think Euron might be involved with... I know that he can do that. With Bran and Bloodraven? So, or at least I think that he can do that. That's possible, for sure. Getting told to go somewhere and then not getting a lot of information on why you're going there. Vagary, and it's such a big journey, just it's not something that good people would do. Especially if you have the opportunity to get more information and not just speak through complete symbolism. Mm-hmm. It seems like Bram is being told to do stuff with just sort of the base info in a way that was picturesque to sort of draw very simple conclusions that were step by step to just make him do what they wanted him to do mm-hmm. instead of the context. And I don't know, I, I sort of resist teachers that are like, you, you will get this info when you're ready. I don't, right. really, I, I don't really like that. Just tell me what's going on just be straight up with me just be honest and if you can't really be honest up front about the thing then the thing probably isn't that attractive in the first place or might not be quote-unquote good like you might be playing for the wrong side on accident but good people sometimes do that so true good people sometimes do that and maybe the the overall thing at the end is 
it's, gray. It's bigger than you. And yeah. Maybe your death is worth it or something. But to relate it back to the question, I don't know if he's going to lose himself within it. But I also don't know how quickly that's going to happen. You know, I was just thinking about like what they were going to be doing in the tree <laughs> the next handful of chapters whenever I asked that question. Well, then let's answer that. that I don't know. I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, I like that it can go anywhere. I and think that's more the visions. end of us talking about a song. That's the point. <laughs> when you think of the theme of Game of Owens podcast. It's the friends you made along the way. It's the friends you made along the way. It's I don't have a lot of answers to anything, but there's a lot of very interesting questions out mm. there. Mm. Mm. So I don't have answer. I don't have a good answer for. They're going to see a lot of stuff. They're going to see a lot They're of. They're going to look at a lot of stuff. Brand's going to learn a lot of stuff from Blood Raven. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to eventually take over and be the guy. You think so? Yeah, for I don't sure. Oh man, for sure. I think so. Why? Why would he want to give up that that mantle like that? Because I think he has no choice. Like he's just gonna fade into the, just fade away or die or be, become a full on piece of the earth, and that's why Bran is there is to kind of like pass the torch along for that. Okay. So I think, like learning period, learning period, learning period. Info, info, info. Handling good and evil, being weird, and then rejoining the fray. That being weird step is probably the most, the key, the key one. Yeah. Even more important than the learning. Right. So we figure out what about the learning that you thought was interesting mm-hmm. and usable in the first place. Mm-hmm. So do you think that he'll rejoin the fray proper and cross the wall south? Well, I mean, if we're to assume that he becomes king at the end, like he has to somehow get back in the picture. Yeah. If that's you, you don't the have truth. to assume that, that he's going to yeah. become king. I don't know. I'm not necessarily convinced only because I just... I'm more interested in, in if Bran kind of goes a little bit of this darker route. And I think in the TV show, he is, he's just like an encyclopedia that's kind of sitting there. Like he he doesn't have that same kind of – he doesn't wrestle with a lot of the same kind of questions that I think he's going to wrestle with in the book because right. it was just so glossed over. And so I don't see him as being this like old wise man to lead the people kindly. And justly because he knows everything, you know. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I could deeply be wrong about that. I wonder if in the next book there will be the same style of interruption that happened in the TV series to the tree. I don't know. I I don't think so, but I feel like something's got to happen. Maybe it'll be just the impetus to leave. Maybe he'll see something that he needs to act upon. Some sort of catalyst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's something from the bowels of the tree. Some kind of inner earth foe or it could be some kind of insurrection from the children of the forest or something like that. I don't know. But I feel like something's got to happen to shake it up. I don't think that George writes a book where it's just visions and he stays there sort of unadulterated. Far away as like the narrator. Not yeah. not really the narrator for real, but yeah. Right. right. But just as a, the sake of an art. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he's going to be, let's say, still learning and still exploring a lot of stuff just like – Danny's in Marine, but ultimately the dragons or uh, the the fighting pit happened and Drogon came and she flew away. Yeah. There's some like sort there's of something's convergence. Gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to be, but I don't know if it's going to be White Walkers coming to the tree. That, is just, that doesn't seem like a thing, but it could be wrong. Maybe. The Hodor or... thing is going to happen in some way. And Definitely. I, I think it is. I feel like George did confirm that it is still hold the door, but f- could be for a lot of things. And it could be in a different, whole different circumstance. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, that same kind of enemy, but I, I think it's going to happen in Winds of Winter, though. 
the Hodor death and everything. I, that makes sense to me, though. That makes sense to me because, I mean, we really only have two books left. And so for Bran to go through all of the stuff that he needs to go through to eventually get to this point that we're assuming, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's going to take a lot of time. So I hope that's the case. Something else that I was kind of thinking about, and this is just like a broad thing. Was so, this on the dock? No, it wasn't. <laughs> so much about A Song of Ice and Fire. I mean, as I was thinking about A Song of Ice and Fire as a whole, um, like so much of the conversation and the praise and the thing that makes this series wildly good is just that the these main characters are in real peril and are in real danger all the time. And I feel like we haven't had that in a while. Like, I feel like we're kind of getting a little soft because um, we haven't had, like, a Red Wedding type of vibe. And I'm not (laughs) saying we need, like, the Red Wedding, but you know what I mean? Like, something to make you worried that somebody that you care about is actually going to be in real danger. And so, like, you look at that situation with Hodor happening in the next book. I mean, that's, like, a gut-wrencher. And so... Yeah. That's exciting to me because that... um, plays into a lot of the fun of like what sucked all of us into this book series in the first place. People dying. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) how do we end this? Because we don't have owns. Oh yeah. It's kind of strange. Like I feel, I feel this weird like dangling Mm. thing because I can't transition into my, (laughs) (laughs) are these owns? No, No, these aren't owns. Thank you so much for applying, though, everyone that did. Yeah, that was fun. We um, we put up the question on Instagram, which is like a place that we don't typically put our call for owns or whatever this might be. And we got a lot of Instagram Yeah, we got one on Twitter. What's going on with you so guys on Twitter? If Everyone's preoccupied with news. There's, there's a lot less of stuff. news There's on a lot of stuff going on right yeah. now. But um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, um, it seems like stuff's happening over there. You can find us. I guess I'm sort of closing things out. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those types of platforms on by searching for Game of Owns. You can also send us an email if you have lots of long thoughts, because I know sometimes when we ask questions, we only it only gives you space for a couple characters. Um, so you can email us at contact at gameofowns.com. Another place you can find us if you're looking for more hashtag content is on Patreon. There are two different podcasts that we do on Patreon. We do one called Squad of Ice and Fire, where we talk about literally whatever. And there is, do you have a name for your reread? A reread of Ice and Fire. A reread of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Which is Zach's solo podcast, where he is six chapters deep in rereading the series from the beginning. I'm going to be doing more. It's kind of intimidating. It's kind of, it's kind of hard. It solo. It's hard to do that. <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah. So if you want more perspective on the series from the beginning now that we're talking so much about the end you can find that and a bunch of other different things on our patreon which is patreon.com slash two bonus podcasts now so that's fun wild yeah i like doing it it's fun um what do we have next uh our next chapter let's pull it up here go to feastwithdragons.com scroll down past the sacrifice Oh, yeah. I should remember this. Our next episode and our next point of view chapter from Feast of Dragons will be the first of our 11 remaining chapters and the first of our proper point of view chapters for Victarian. Victarian (laughs) 1. That is so exciting. I know. And we're going to brush across a lot of the weird stuff we were talking about in this. And it's just going to be in little windows. It Mm -hmm. won't be ever directly uh, acknowledged. It'll be present, though. 
and little tendrils written within the chapter. So going to look out for that. It's been really fun to kind of branch out from the chapters, but I'm very excited to kind of get back into our usual flow flow and like usual little box that we play in. So that'll be our next episode. Victorian one. Thanks for another year of the podcast, everyone. And for being here with us in the start of another year, 2K21. There's been a lot of 2Ks. There really has. 2K has been a thing and it keeps on going. (laughs) What's going to happen when we get to the uh, year 3000? Cue the Jonas Brothers song. We'll worry about that The actual year 3000? Yeah, I know. We won't be alive. I was trying to make a funny joke. That's all. Why not? We could be. You never know. We could find a tree to attach ourselves to or uh, I can't think of any other way yet. Some kind of molecular modification would be a good place to start. But right now, that's just an idea. Right now, we can just listen to the Jonas Brothers song. What what Jonas Brothers song? The Year 3000. That's a song, huh? Yeah, it's a banger. Okay. I'll have to listen to that after we're done. (laughs) Thank you guys for hanging with us. Feel free to send us any thoughts um, if you wanted to add to our discussion today. And we'll see you pretty soon.